Electric vehicle sales around the world have been growing exponentially over the last few years. And here in Canada, all new cars sold will need to be zero emission by 2035. That means demand will only be growing in the next decade. So the race for producing these vehicles and their parts is on. And waiting at the finish line of this race? Reduced emissions for one, that's a good thing, but also financial opportunities, especially for Canada. Exactly. So a really big prize right now out there. That's one of our guests today, Rebecca Young. She's head of inclusion and resilience economics at Scotiabank. Canada's towed the line for that prize, or at least for a podium finish, only to realize that the pistol went off decades ago and that other competitors are already laps ahead. Rebecca recently put out a report all about this electric vehicle, or EV, race. She's here today along with her co-author, Scotiabank economist John Fanjoy. They'll speak with Armino Lagaya from the Perspectives team to explain why the transition to EVs is so important, what might be holding us back, and some potential solutions policymakers can implement. Basically, policymakers, automakers regionally have thrown everything but the kitchen sink at these challenges and opportunities ahead. I think now is the time to think about throwing in that kitchen sink. I'm Stephen Maurice, and this is Perspectives. Now, here's Armina Lagaya. Rebecca, John, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So you just put out a report on electric vehicles, and I want to dig into that. But maybe first you can break down the crux of it. What's the headline here? The headline of the report is that maybe we're in the wrong race. Is Canada backing and building the electric vehicles that North Americans can actually afford in the next decade when sales mandates start biting? The answer is probably not, but there's still time. Let's dig into this race. It's a race for what and with who? What is the prize? John? So it's a race among manufacturers to try and put out vehicles that would be available, one, to meet the government sales targets for zero emissions, but also be economically viable for the mass market. And since the pandemic, EV sales have grown more than 200% globally. And in a recent IEA report, they show that the electric vehicle fleet is likely to be growing about eight times by the end of the decade in 2030. And in 2022 alone, there were about 10 million electric cars sold, where about half of those were sold within China and about a fifth of that market also within the European Union. So maybe let's take one step back. Why is this so critical? What is so important about EVs, particularly as Canada strives to reach its net zero targets? Rebecca, maybe you can take this one. Yeah, so transportation typically represents about a quarter of emissions for Canada. Private vehicle ownership typically is about half of those transportation emissions. So it's a really big chunk of the emissions that we need to take out of our economy, take out of our societies to be consistent with our net zero targets and our interim targets by 2030. Keep in mind also that as ambitious as our sales mandates are in Canada, the stock, you know, the numbers that we need to see a turnover in taking vehicles off the road is pretty big. And so just to put a few numbers on the table, there are about 24 million vehicles on the road in Canada today. We typically sell in a good year about 2 million vehicles. So that gives you a sense. If we have a sales mandate target of 20% by 2026, we're really only taking a trickle off the road at a time. So it's going to be quite some time before we see kind of material changes or moving the needle substantially on the emissions front. Now, I think once we start accelerating, we should see faster and faster progress. But it does give you this sense that there's tip of the iceberg are, you know, selling EVs into such a big stock of vehicles on the road. And in particular, it is these older vehicles that tend to be higher polluting. 
Okay, John, so maybe you can give us some context. Tell me about the commitments that Canada has made so far on the electric vehicle front. So the government of Canada has committed to 100% of all new light-duty vehicles being electric or zero-emission vehicles by 2035. And they also include interim sales targets to track their progress, in which at least 20% of new vehicles should be electric by 2026, and then at least 60% by the year 2030, the end of this decade. And for context, in 2020, about 8% of the vehicles sold within Canada were meeting those zero emissions. Wow. So that would need to roughly triple over the next three years by 2026, just to meet that first interim sales target of 20%. Wow, I really have to pick up the speed. Yeah, and so, you know, and I'll just add to what John is saying is that credit to government, they've thrown lots of tools at this challenge ahead, not just sales mandates, but they've got purchase incentives that vary across the country. They've plowed tens of billions into things like charging infrastructure and, you know, even now incentives for production and investment in EVs and EV supply chains. So they're doing a lot. But as John says, we have a long way to go. And I would argue that this isn't, you know, your typical S-shaped innovation curve that, you know, everybody's going to see their neighbor with a cell phone and they're going to go out and buy it and the price point's going to get better. For one, it's not the price point of, say, a laptop or a cell phone where you see that mass market just take off. But another is that, like, everybody's got an anecdote of their neighbor that got the EV. And for one, it's a bit of a status symbol still, but also lots of kinks in the system. And so we've got tons and tons of surveys out there of why Canadians are or aren't buying EVs right now, from range anxiety to lack of charging infrastructure, to speed of charging. Then there are the issues of the underlying grid network or the electricity to support that charging. What's the right battery technology to buy right now? You know, what will it be worth when I go to sell it? So the list goes on and on and on of what is concerning Canadians. Some evidence-based, others more about perception and the lack of familiarity with the technologies. And that just gives you a taste of some of the hurdles that we have for adoption in this space. Right. I would point out, though, that there's most definitely a cost savings element that perhaps Canadians aren't necessarily internalizing. And Clean Energy Canada has done some great work on what they call the true cost of ownership, Mm -hmm. which really looks at all the gas savings that Canadians would be able to accrue over the years of owning an electric vehicle. And they look at various models and driving efficiency and basically say pretty much all models across the board, Canadians will be better off owning and driving an electric vehicle right now than they would with an ICE engine. So that's internal combustion engine, right? Exactly. But now, you know, economics is a funny thing because we assume people are rational. And so we assume they do that net present value calculation and say, okay, ah, it makes more sense to buy an electric vehicle because if factor in all those future savings, I'll be better off. But now behavioral economics tells us no consumers are swayed by other stuff. And that whole bucket of things that make consumers reticent to buy a vehicle would be that kind of behavioral economic stuff. I would say I'm probably a believer more in practical economics and that many households, quite frankly, may see the long-term savings in electric vehicle ownership, but they've got very real practical constraints in what they can front up now to buy a vehicle, whether it's a new ICE engine or an electric vehicle where price points are just pretty high. So I think at the end of the day, I would then say consumers are pretty rational um, when it comes to thinking about EV purchases right now. You know, that's interesting, actually, because 
because a friend of mine, when their you know regular combustion engine car broke down, they need to get a new one. They wanted to get an electric vehicle, but they looked at the wait time because of the supply, and they just not in a position to wait for five, six months to get another vehicle. How does the supply factor into that adoption and also the pricing? Well, I think right now, certainly supply issues for EVs are more constrained than traditional vehicles. And that's another risk of the many risks. I didn't kind of get into all the risks on the horizon for this rollout of our EV ambitions as a country is one is just very practical about are we going to have the materials at reasonable price points to build these vehicles? Are we going to be able to get inventory when all other countries are also trying to ramp up their sales, in particular the U.S., where they've got lots in their favor? from purchase incentives to stronger U.S. dollar, it seems kind of persistently. So I think that, yes, it's a concern now if you want to buy an EV is is finding one, but also down the road there are issues around pricing. And John has some good data points more generally on pricing, but there is this risk. Again, this may not be your typical S-shaped innovation curve that with time price points are going to come radically down. And we saw that even the IEA had been saying that battery pricing is going to come down pretty rapidly rapidly and Mm -hmm. we could see price parity within five years. They were kind of singing this song before the pandemic hit and definitely before the war in Ukraine. And all that has upended our assumptions on critical mineral shortages and what can happen when a certain subset of countries that are poorly governed can kind of hold hostage these resources or these technologies from the rest of the world as we're trying to ramp up on the green transition. Mm -hmm. A line that stood out from the report is, the biggest risk is that we build the cars that people want today, but cannot afford tomorrow. What do you mean by that, John? So as Rebecca mentioned earlier, there's a lot that goes into the pricing of a different vehicle. And so you can't really forecast the price direction, but you would expect as market makers innovate, and that would generally be able to create models that have different price points. In China, they've been making electric vehicles for decades now. And then you're seeing that the average weighted sale price for electric vehicles in China is in the price point of about 10,000 US dollars as of last year. Whereas in other major markets like the US and in the European Union, on the average weighted sale, the price point is closer to the $30,000 mark. And in Canada and the US, consumers have over the past two decades tended to shift more towards larger and larger vehicles and trucks, as opposed to the more smaller or compact vehicles, which might have a bit of an impact on the types of models that become available to the consumers as manufacturers look to meet the demand within the existing market rather than looking forward to what might be a bit more viable in the 10, 20, 30 years out. Wow. Okay. So price may be an issue. I'm wondering, is there a huge difference between the models available to Canadian customers versus other markets right now? Yeah. The IEA has said that As of last year, there were about 500 different models of electric cars available in the market. China had about 300 available to their consumers. Meanwhile, in the European Union, it was about half of that at about only 150 different models available for consumers. Meanwhile, a little closer to the 100 model range in the United States and in other major markets such as Canada and Japan, it would be in the 30 or fewer models available to consumers to choose from. Well, that's a huge difference in terms of availability. Wow. So does that mean we sort of risk only those with deep pockets in Canada being able to take advantage of the switch to EVs? So the main focus of our report is we looked at how much our households and consumers spending on private transportation when taking into account the vehicle purchases, excluding maintenance costs, but adding in the cost of gas. 
And we extend that out into about 2035, where Canada has these very stringent sales targets of about 100%. And so when you're looking that far out, you're able to get an approximation for how much consumers would be able to spend on electric vehicles if they were to change their habits from buying a combustion engine type car today into the purchasing power for an electric vehicle in the future. And so what we're seeing is that for consumers purchasing vehicles out in 2035, what that would mean in today's dollars to be available in the mass market for the middle income households, as well as in that range of lower 20 to mid 60% of household income, that prices would need to come down up to about half to be available for the larger market. Wow, bring it down by half. That's quite the challenge. So how can that be done? How can prices of EVs be brought down to that more accessible level? First, again, credit to policymakers. I think they're throwing a bunch of tools at this challenge ahead of us, including direct investments in production and investment and incentives, collaborating with partners, not just in the actual vehicle production, but in the supply chain, critical mineral, battery technology. So I think all that kind of push approach is important, but we still need more progress. And first of all, I would say this isn't a knock on on regional automakers, so North American automakers, it's not that they can be faulted per se for not building more affordable vehicles. I think that this is like a classic market failure right now that they are constrained by huge amounts of uncertainty on the market out there. So there's demand uncertainty, there's price uncertainty, there's even policy uncertainty, whether it's here or in the US, across increasingly fragmented markets. You know, and then we have these embedded uncertainties that we talked about before. That's the pace and direction of technological development development, see availability and cost of critical minerals and energy security, supporting charging and electrification infrastructure, not to mention the evolution of consumer preference. So just enormous uncertainties for OEMs. And if anything, they also deserve credit because the IEA has pointed out that across the globe, OEMs' ambitions in the EV space either meet or exceed policymakers' space. Sorry, just quickly, OEM means original equipment manufacturer. Exactly. So OEMs are out there. They see the market potential. Mm -hmm. But still, we likely are facing this challenge of getting to mass market, not just in Canada, but we also look at the U.S. because auto markets are very regional here, that we still need more. And so if you think about it in terms of that classic market failure that we're under-investing in affordable EV options, would you look at policy making a bit different? Are we missing tools? And I would say it's not just the kind of the climate risk that Canadians are going to end up sticking to ICE engines or, you know, driving older vehicles longer. There's actually now this new threat on the horizon is that import. So if Canadians can't afford vehicles that we're making here in North America in the next decade, increasingly we're going to see models being made elsewhere. And this we're already seeing. But I think policymakers need to think longer term. So beyond putting up barriers to buy a bit more time to catch up, we need to also think about how we're going to get there ourselves with building more affordable vehicles. So I think that policymakers in Canada, but also with their North American partners with the U.S. and with Mexican policymakers should be thinking about, is there some sort of market certainty, market guarantee down the road that we can create that can lead to automakers piling in to clamor to build that affordable vehicle that masses can afford across the continent? Mm -hmm. So one last question, John, maybe you can start on this one. What can we do collectively? What can policymakers, manufacturers, et cetera, do to make sure that they're doing what's right for the economy and Canada's climate goals? So Canadians still need and want private transportation. And at the end of the day, 
Canadians are rational consumers where as barriers for EV adoption start to drop out and carbon taxes increase over time, Canadians will be looking at that sticker price rather than the VIN or manufacturing footprint. And for the Canadian and North American OEMs, that market in Canada is still the prize for them. Rebecca, how about you? Yeah, so I think at the end of the day, we need to do more of what we're already doing. And so basically, policymakers, automakers regionally have thrown everything but the kitchen sink at these challenges and opportunities ahead. I think now is the time to think about throwing in that kitchen sink. What are the new tools? What are the innovative ones that we can deploy to really capitalize on this opportunity that'll make a really big difference for regional economies, but it'll also make a really big difference towards meeting our climate targets. Thank you very much for walking us through all the issues and opportunities on the electric vehicle front. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I've been speaking with Rebecca Young, Vice President and Head of Inclusion and Resilience Economics at Scotiabank, and John Fanjoy, an economist at Scotiabank. The Perspectives podcast is made by me, Armina Lagaya, Stephen Maurice, and our producer, Andrew Norton. For a transcript of this episode, visit our website, scotiabank.com slash perspectives. We'll see you next time.